Welcome to the Gottesdienst crowd, where we foster confessional integrity, liturgical preservation, and preaching that doesn't stink. We believe that the historic liturgy of the divine service is more than mere cobwebs of antiquity, but it is a true treasure of the church to be dusted off and brought down from her attic to be enjoyed. So let's get dusting. Welcome back to the Godestine's Crowd. This is Jason Broughton. Today we have back with us the Reverend Dr. Greg Schultz. Welcome back, Greg. Thanks, Pastor. Um, so last time we spoke, you were uh, discussing uh, kind of the happenings going on with wokeism and diversity, equity, and inclusion in universities. And one of the things that constantly is brought up at least in my Bible class or when I talk to other pastors is, what do we do as lay people who want to make a good confession of who Christ is and what he has done and who he calls us to be? What do we do when human resources comes a knocking and wants us to go through different kinds of training programs uh, and even have us uh, wear uh, certain slogans or insignia to uh, identify or support particular diversity or equity or inclusion type narratives. What do we do as Christians and Lutherans? How do, how do we handle this and uh, be faithful to our calling as Christians, be faithful in our confession of who Christ is and who Christ has called us to be, and um, also be faithful to our calling in our work at in within society or our work for the benefit of our family. So before we get into that, maybe just a review, how do we define and understand biblically what diversity, equity, and inclusion are, what wokeism is? Well, thanks. The, the notion of starting with the first act of the mind, right? to define what it is that we're talking about is certainly mission critical. Mm -hmm. um, so I think I'll identify things this way, okay? I think I already hear your um, pastoral heart at work for this discussion and for um, your goddess deans listeners, uh, both our brother pastors and our fellow Christians in the pews. Uh, and we want to offer genuine Christ-centered help and perspective uh, for things. So I'm just going to mention that uh, two weeks ago, the, the week before uh, Palm Sunday and our great and holy week that we're in as you and I are recording this, I was preaching on Psalm 43. Um, I'd like to recommend to our listeners who are uh, being harried and pressured in the workplace or trying to help uh, loved ones and family members who are getting that kind of treatment, I'd certainly like to recommend the Psalms of Lament. And um, I'm going to read a, a short passage from Psalm 43 to um, focus our thinking and our, I suppose, our feeling and our willing mm -hmm. on Christ and his word. And I want to mention along with this that actually uh, Psalm 43 is the second part of a what looks like a single Psalm of Lament that includes Psalm 42. So what I'm recommending is really Psalm 42 and 43. And for the sake of uh, summarizing at this point, I'm just going to read the refrain 
that is prevalent in both of those psalms. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why are you disturbed within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Now, Psalm 43 starts with some particulars which bring about that cadence or that refrain of lament, which consists in uh, being disturbed and despairing, but also Mm. hoping in God. So this is the first verse of Psalm 43. Vindicate me, O God, and plead my case against an ungodly nation. O deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man. So since you asked the question about wokeism assaulting us in the workplace, um, I think that we should mention that wokeism is known by other names. So I think the term woke is the most popular, the, mm-hmm. the easiest to kind of catch quickly. This is um, critical social justice, or mm-hmm. simply sometimes referred to as the social justice movement. And it surely is uh, something that is indicating that we're living in an ungodly nation right now because mm-hmm. the, um, the stress and the assault on our lives at work, uh, at school, and for some of us, going to school and teaching is our our vocation, our work. Um, this really is a rather ungodly business. So the opening plea of Psalm 43 is actually a plea to God. Please notice in the first place, right, that that's the place to go. That's the, that's the one to go to with our concerns, our worries, our complaints. And the Lord is the one to petition for deliverance from the deceitful and unjust person or people uh, around us. So I think a, a good way to talk about the ungodly nation, which is sponsoring the wokeism, mm-hmm. the woke social justice, this, well, it's really Marxism. Uh, I think a good way to, to uh, catch what's going on here uh, may actually be a brief bit of poetry uh, not of the caliber of Psalm 43, of course, not inspired, but pretty good. So this is uh, T.S. Eliot, uh, choruses from The Rock, in which he writes in part, where is the life we have lost in living? Now, by the way, life is capitalized. Eliot is an American-born British poet, so he knows what he's doing. That's a reference to John 14, mm-hmm. where our Lord, uh, right about the first Holy Week, taught us, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, nisi per me, uh, in, uh, in the Latin translation of his Greek. So here, here's the fuller part of that poem from Eliot. Where is the life we have lost in living, the wisdom we have lost in knowledge, the knowledge we have lost in information? 20 centuries of heaven's circuit have brought us farther from God and nearer the dust. Now, this is very presumptuous of me, but I think that Eliot's masterful poem for Christ the Rock has to be updated. So I'm going to do that right now. Mm. Where is the life we have lost in living? The wisdom we have lost in knowledge, the knowledge we have lost in information, the information we have lost in lies. 21 centuries now have brought us farther from God 
and nearer the dust. Now, I certainly can talk in uh, great philosophical and theological detail about wokeism. I've been mm-hmm. doing that a fair amount. And uh, I would also mention uh, for your goddess-deanst worshipers and, and listeners uh, that I do expect, Lord willing, by next week to have a um, presentation that I was invited to do for one of our congregations recently. I'm going to have that up as a narrated presentation on Lutheran philosophers so that uh, folks can get at this. But the, the basic thing here is that this wokeism being a new form of Marxism, that is, it's Marxism with some stuff plugged in, which we can talk about if you want to, just mm-hmm. let me know. But this is a frontal assault on Western culture. That's certainly true. But it's an assault on the, the kernel, the center of gravity for Western culture, which is our commitment to the scriptures, the Hebrew Old Testament and the Greek mm-hmm. New Testament. Um, it is a lie. We're all familiar, I think, with uh, Marx's own comment. This is from uh, one of his writings on Hegel, the philosopher that he loved and used uh, to great harm to a lot of people, by the way. But um, Marx says that religion is the opium of the people. And I would simply point out that actually Marxism is the fentanyl of education. (laughs) So um, let's also say that because that is the case, woke Marxism or Marxist wokeism is a huge threat to humanity, that is to people, to our understanding of the human being, and to the ways that we relate to each other. It is, as I said, an attack on precisely what Jesus has told us. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And this fentanyl of Marxism is intended in our schools, in our universities. It's making inroads into our churches, right? Um, And in our workplaces, it's intended uh, to get rid of Christ. It's a, it's a case of Psalm 2, right? The, the rulers, can we say, the HR departments, the governmental agencies, school districts in the public school are taking their stand against the Lord and against his anointed one, his Christ. And, and they're saying, let us throw off his fetters, get rid of, of that word and authority of Christ and we're going to follow this Marxism instead, a Marxism which is not about setting the bourgeoisie and the proletariat classes, uh, a made-up sort of thing, against each other violently, mm-hmm. but rather to set up people in terms of sexual identity, um, racial divides, violently against each other. I would also note that those are fairly mythological categories. In other words, they're made up, they're taught as much as possible, drummed into people um, for the express purpose of lying to us. So um, what what we have to be concerned with is first and foremost to confess the Lord, and this means calling out the lies of woke Marxist social justice. Um, That's what it means to be a confessing Christian or a confessing Lutheran Christian, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. You can't be a a confessing person if you never say anything. Yeah. Um, we, we have to confess God's word among ourselves. And then 
uh, when we have the opportunity to speak, uh, we need to do that with thoughtfulness and uh, with biblical clarity. And be happy to talk about that some more. But I think uh, the road there is from our Lord's word to begin with. And I think that the Psalms, because they are this intimate dialogue which God establishes with us, you know, it gives us the words to pray back to Him. So they become our own in this uh, real life conversation. Uh, that word tells us that when our soul is in despair, when we're disturbed, as we surely are by these woke things being done to our children and grandchildren, um, alas, with governmental sanction and with a great deal of enthusiasm, even from the people who are supposed to be uh, teaching and protecting our children, um, that needs to be called out. It needs to be opposed with the truth of Christ. So how does this manifest itself in these various places? I mean, you've you've kind of laid that foundation that Marxism or wokeism, wokeism or you know, critical social justice is all aimed at uh, calling our Lord or the scriptures a liar and thus being a liar. But how does it, how does it manifest itself in what we see kind of boots on the ground? I think you alluded to it in terms of the, the, the identity kind of politics that, that goes on. Where does that fruit, that seed, um, where does that get planted and, and what fruit does that then bear in terms of what we actually see with our eyes and experience in real time? Yeah. So you're thinking about the fruit of social justice in our lives, this, uh, yeah. this growing up of thorns and so forth to choke out our faith. Mm -hmm. No. Yes, I am. Oh, thank you. Um, so I think that, uh, well, at least the way that I would approach this is to, uh, think about my own circumstances and offer that to people as an example that they may want to consider and or critique, uh, if you can do that biblically. Mm -hmm. So I find myself um, having confessed uh, in writing, you know, as you're supposed to do as a confessional professor, mm -hmm. uh, to confess in writing the incursions of wokeness at, at my own Lutheran university um, and the... Um, the attitude and the actions of the administration were to to make every effort to censor and fire me. So I, I would say that that actually it is that kind of reaction to good faith efforts to seek out and confess the truth. I think that's what has to be addressed. And then the question is, oh, by the way, that's a symptom of wokeism too, isn't it? Mm -hmm. As is, as is the refusal to repudiate the fentanyl of Marxist wokeism in our Lutheran schools and universities. This is very serious. Mm -hmm. So the, the question then is perhaps how can you identify this? And I think I've just suggested the, the notion of canceling, the notion of censoring, of uh, violating the academic freedom in my case, you know, as a professor, the academic freedom that we expect our professors to have so they can bring up topics for discussion, which should be able to happen at all places at universities, um, the response to that is the truth. So let me give you a, an example um, from this in kind of a wider context, and then I'd like to focus that on how we can respond 
by um, telling the truth in our particular positions as teachers or or workers at our corporations or our companies, or I suppose in some cases as uh, the owners or managers in businesses who are under pressure mm-hmm. uh, by virtue of government entities, right, to visit all of this uh, harm on us and our coworkers. So uh, my example here is, <laughs> is an essay which was actually published my senior year in high school. So this <laughs> <laughs> this a couple takes of us years back ago. into the years BC. Yeah. Um, so this was actually in 1974. Uh, the The name of the person who wrote this is Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who will be familiar to, I think, a, a number of your listeners, uh, because Solzhenitsyn was, was himself a, uh, this was during the Soviet Union before it was just Russia. The Soviet Union, he was uh, somebody who was uh, hounded and persecuted and jailed. Uh, he's the writer of uh, the Gulag Archipelago and more. But uh, in February of 1974, this is just after our um, Christmas break in high school, Lutheran high school, uh, Solzhenitsyn was about to be exiled from the Soviet Union. I mean, kicked out of his country forever. And on that same day that he was being exiled, uh, he published this brief, powerful essay called Live Not by Lies. Now, I'm going to share a couple small excerpts. The essay itself is only about, uh, I think, four pages, four or five pages long, uh, if a person were to print it out, and it's widely available online. So this is somebody who was being uh, hounded and, I assume, sometimes led to despair, certainly disturbed, by Marxism in, in his country. And here are some of the things that Solzhenitsyn says in Live Not by Lies. They put whomever they want on trial and brand the healthy as mentally ill. And it is always they, while we are helpless. We are approaching the brink. Already, a universal spiritual demise is upon us. A physical one is about to flare up and engulf us and our children while we continue to smile sheepishly and babble, but what what can we do to stop it? We haven't the strength. We have so hopelessly seeded our humanity, given up our humanity, that for the modest handouts of today, we are ready to surrender up all principles, our soul, all the labors of our ancestors, all the prospects of our descendants, anything to avoid disrupting our meager existence. We have lost our strength. Now, a bit later, he goes on to talk about everyday things. Remember, the title of the essay is Live Not by Lies. It is not every day and not on every shoulder that violence brings down its heavy hand. It demands of us only a submission to lies, a daily participation in deceit, and this suffices as our fealty. And therein we find, neglected by us, the simplest, the most accessible key to our liberation, a personal non-participation in lies. Even if all is covered by lies, even if all is under their rule, let us resist in the smallest way. Let their rule hold not through me. Our way must be never knowingly support lies. 
having understood where the lies begin, and many see this line differently, step back from that gangrenous edge. Let us not glue back the flaking scales of the ideology. That would be Marxism, of course. Mm -hmm. Not gather back its crumbling bones, nor patch together its decomposing garb, and we will be amazed how swiftly and helplessly the lies will fall away, and that which is destined to be naked will be exposed as such to the world. And thus, overcoming our temerity, our fearfulness, let each man choose. Will he remain a witting servant of the lies? Or has the time come for him to stand straight as an honest person, worthy of the respect of his children and contemporaries? From that day onward, he will not write, sign, nor publish in any way a single line distorting the truth, will not utter such a line in private or public conversation, nor read it from a crib sheet, nor speak it in the role of educator, canvasser, teacher, actor, will not be impelled to a meeting where a forced and distorted discussion is expected to take place, will at once walk out from a session, meeting, lecture, play, or film as soon as he hears the speaker utter a lie, ideological drivel, or shameless propaganda, will not subscribe to, nor buy in retail, a newspaper or journal that distorts or hides the underlying facts. It will not be an easy path, perhaps, but it is the easiest among those that lie before us. Not an easy choice for the body, but the only one for the soul. So, um, if I remember right, Solzhenitsyn actually makes a passing reverent reference uh, to Gandhi uh, somewhere in this essay as well. Mm -hmm. And so, this is a non-violent protestation against the Marxist lie. Mm -hmm. And I think that many of us, uh, me included, can find something of a prophetic call in Solzhenitsyn's essay not to participate in the lie. And think about the um, biblical authority of Christ being our response when we refuse to participate in promulgating or promoting the Marxist lies. Think about what it means, not just this great and holy week uh, as we come up to another Easter and Resurrection Sunday, but think about what this means every day that we can say, well, wait, uh, what's being done to these children, mm -hmm. right? These uh, mutilations and these experimental chemicals being injected into them is not healthy for them. It's destructive. It's an assault on the incarnation of Christ. And that is the Christ who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Uh, we can comfort and sustain one another as Christians by saying, well, remember what Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Mm -hmm. Then he commands us to be making disciples of all nations by baptizing and by teaching them to obey, follow and live, right? To yeah. obey everything I have taught you. And uh, surely then, this is a powerful time for the powerful gospel of our Lord. Because as Solzhenitsyn prophesied, the time is coming 
when this uh, Marxist ideology, this fentanyl, this dehumanizing uh, mythology mm -hmm. uh, is going to become clear to people, if not the whole nation, but it will become clear to people just how dehumanizing, how impoverished, how uh, harmful and de uh, degrading the whole business is. So we need not to participate in that. We need to oppose that lie. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we see this all swirling around us, and, and maybe it's just because we have all for so long been addicted to this fentanyl, um, or, you know, we're, we're dying from it, that you will see, you know, Christians uh, supporting these things based upon a particular reading of a bit of scripture. And, and you know, Christians are caught in the middle of, uh, of this. So if we're not going to live by lies, that must mean that we must be able to access and know the truth. So to where then do we go? Uh, obviously to Jesus, but you have two sides both quoting him. <laughs> so what's the best way to, to help our people see the misuse of our Lord versus the proper use of his words. Does that make sense? It makes sense, but I tell you what, Jason, I'm not I'm not willing to allow that the people, let's say people in the church who are promoting uh, woke Marxist social justice, I'm not willing at all to allow that they are doing what they're doing based on scripture. Okay. What's actually happening is that they have a pre-commitment of some degree, may the Lord grant them repentance, right? Yeah. They have a pre-commitment to some degree to the Marxism. They have a pre-commitment yeah. to the notion that diversity, inclusion, and equity as defined or really not defined by the critical social justice movement, right? That this is the way to go. It's it's like a, a really bad rat poison version of church growth theory, isn't it? Mm, yeah. So it, it is not the case that they are doing what they're doing based on scripture. You can actually tell this because yeah. um, the diversity, the inclusion and the equity are substitutes for the means of grace. <laughs> it, it, instead of universal justification, it's the die mantra instead yeah. of um, uh, the way that the Lord identifies people in scripture, believer, disbeliever, um, following his word, not following his word. They buy into it, you know, even before the discussion starts, even before the sermons get rolling, it seems, they, they have bought into this mythological Marxist carving up of society into made up categories. I mean, my goodness, uh, LGBTQ, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Where did these racial categories come from, I, I think you and I can say these are not biblical categories at all. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I guess I'm going to say I do know something about this because of the, the training and the years of teaching that I've been, been blessed to have. Uh, this requires some thoughtful intellectual mm -hmm. analysis, and there are at least some of us who have been providing this to the church for some time now. Yeah. This stuff... Um, this stuff I mean, is just pure poison. So what's happening, I think, is that um, scripture is being used like a 
Bartlett's, Bartlett's book of familiar quotations. Mm-hmm. So yeah. these folks have their commitments and then they paste on Bible passages to that. Yeah. I'm also not interested to talk about their motivation. I think that we judge people by their fruits yep. and the, the fruits of what they're saying and doing speak for themselves. Sure. I mean, I, I, we do see nationalities and um, so, and, and, you know, we see all those various nations being recognized in the, in the uh, heavenly vision of St. John. Uh, but there are, like you said, some categories that are just completely made up, right? The, the four political ends for power grab ends, I guess that's what I mean by political. Um, so if we can get to the truth, which we can, because our Lord has made it known, that's kind of the first step, recognizing that there is a truth and the lie and that there, there are others who are lying that there is no truth. Well, that's true. Um, may I just offer the comment, the, I appreciate your care with considering, let's say, uh, for instance, the vision that our Lord gave John the apostle, and therefore us in revelation mm-hmm. of all the nations. But I, I must point out that the Bible never talks in terms of skin color or identification in in the terms that are being used today. Um, the, in that sense, the Bible does not talk about race. Mm-hmm. It talks about faith or faithlessness. It talks about worshiping God or not. It talks about uh, the sins of nations that reject the Lord and worship idols who can't mm-hmm. hear or speak or walk, but it does not identify people based on the uh, timber of their skin tone or their uh, facial or other characteristics. You mean for so like, a, salvific a, purposes? I mean, it does well, distinguish really them at all. in creation. I mean, uh, would you say that? I mean, just in, just as a distinction, not as better or worse necessarily. Well, I think I think we'd have to ask where that's coming from. My suggestion would be that what is happening right about now in our churchly conversations mm. is what um, C.S. Lewis referred to as chronological snobbery, the okay. reading of of our own ideas and categories onto classical texts, especially onto the text of Scripture. So the the ethnos. Uh, vocabulary and so forth of scripture is national. It does not, it is not at all primarily, or I think finally, is not about color. Uh, it's mm. not about race, the way people are self identifying as being this hyphenated, whatever, or that hyphenated, oh, yeah. whatever. Okay. You see? So it's yeah, not yeah. the contemporary categories being used in this Marxist fashion to put us against each other. These are not categories that the Bible uses. And I think you and I would agree that even more importantly, the remedy for any um, disparity, any um, left outness of, of whatever groups of people, the remedy for that is not diversity. It is not inclusion. It is not this newfangled notion of equity. It's actually God's gospel. So it's the universal justification, the um, can we say the universal applicability of baptism and the Lord's Supper? Mm-hmm. It's the word and the means of grace. That's what's being sold off. That's what's being neglected in favor of 
a Marxist ideology. Mm-hmm. Do you see? Okay. So now, should we pick up that? Um, what is the last question that you were just posing? How this is appearing, and we have to first acknowledge that there is truth. Correct. Yes. That okay. That there is so, truth, and that though there are those who are lying about what the truth is. Right. So this has been a problem for some time. So in a, in a more technical discussion, uh, that actually is available online for your listeners who are interested with the uh, Lutheran scholastic folks on, on YouTube. Um, I did explain that what we are seeing today as this Marxist woke social justice movement, that it depends upon a presupposition of postmodernism and then the framework, the operational stuff from Marxism. Mm-hmm. So the, the postmodernism is this uh, wholesale relativizing of everything, including truth, as you were just suggesting. Uh, this has been taught in uh, universities, in upper tier universities for a long time. It's also made its way down to less than upper tier universities, such as the the uh, Church University of the Concordia, where I serve. Um, so th- the the presupposition means that this is being everywhere assumed. The people who are using it don't want to have to talk about it, so they don't. And apparently we don't have enough grasp of things to, to look at this. Uh, but it's just like the assumption of evolutionary theory, right? This mm-hmm. is so widely assumed that it becomes a presupposition that people don't feel they have to identify or even defend when they're doing various things to us in terms of social experiments or teaching a new ethics or something. So the presupposition for postmodernism is the meaninglessness of language. Mm -hmm. And this thorough relativism um, just is is spouted so often, is taught so, um, so regularly that we have taken our eyes off of things, or I think maybe it's more a case that our immune system has been almost fatally compromised because of our biblical illiteracy. Mm-hmm. So it's not that we can't read the scriptures. My goodness, um, anybody with a, a laptop or a smartphone can pull up um, any translation of the scripture available today yeah. you know, in less than a minute. It's it's not that we don't have access; it's that we just never really read. Right. Um, I think this is a problem with the church people, by the way, who are supporting um, woke social justice. Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're just not reading the Bible as whole books. They're they're picking out passages or settling for passages that they think support what they're they're already committed to. So, yeah. to find out what it means to believe in the truth, if I can just. Uh, condense a whole long conversation here is to talk about capital T truth. So this is denied, for instance, by a postmodern thinker such as uh, Richard Rorty, which your you know your listeners could look him up online, some have yeah. probably run into, where he says, we used to believe that there was such a thing as capital T truth, that which was true for all people of all time. But today we've come to realize that at most all we have are small t parochial or regional truths. Now, uh, you can argue against that. So, for instance, I can say, as I often do, well, my goodness, that's a self-falsifying statement. That's why you're chuckling, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, it's If it's true, we can't believe it. If we believe it, it can't be true. He's holding on to this one capital T, truth, that there's no such thing as truth. 
mm-hmm. and and that's that's funny and so forth. Uh, it's also um, instructive, yeah. but they don't care. That's the point. They don't care. They don't so care. it's a dismantling project. So how do you answer that? Well, you know, people like me should be talking about the various truth theories and citing Aristotle, and and the fact that uh, Western thought was founded by Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle to combat relativism. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we can do all of that, but finally, we've really got to listen to Luther on this. The thing to do here is not to protect your helmet with your head and not to safeguard your sword with your forearm. It's to use the helmet of salvation and to wield the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Mm-hmm. So here's where all of this falls apart. When we don't promote those lies of relativism, postmodernism, and Marxism, Mm-hmm. But when we teach, we yeah. talk about, we preach Christ. And here he is, capital T Truth. I've got a story we don't have time for today, I'm sure. But I actually was invited to lecture in China a few years ago. Um, and I talked about truth theory. And I, I used one of the Greek church fathers um, as a, a criterion for truth after I did all my philosophical stuff and, and it uh, used his phrase, um, truth is not known unless it is loved, unless it is loved. And then I quoted for the class, John 14, verse six, and no fooling in this class of graduate and undergraduate philosophy students, there was an audible gasp from the back of the room and people were furiously writing things down as I was saying, well, here is the truth in the flesh. Here's Mm -hmm. God himself who says, I am the way, the truth, the aletheia, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, after that, I (laughs) had all sorts of uh, wonderful conversations, including a young man who said to me, "Uh, Dr. Schultz, thank you so much for coming. I think I should tell you, I am not a Christian yet but I think that I shall be, (laughs) right? So let the gospel loose. This is what's getting lost in this. That's why I said that the big concern with universities or churches or people, especially teachers and professors who are buying into um, wokeism in their workplaces, uh, the the big crime is that the DIE stuff and the Marxist mantras are replacing the authoritative, frequent, and regular use of God's word. Mm-hmm. So, and then uh, in that, other that words, carries over is, to the, if I may say, to our workplaces wherever yeah. we are. So, in other words, this is what Luther, how Luther responds to Erasmus and the bondage of the world, the the will. Yes. It's not the. It is not the mark of a Christian mind to take no delight in assertions. On the contrary, a man must delight in assertions or he will be no Christian. Ah, yeah. Powerful stuff and as as relevant and contemporary today in the good sense as as can be. Mm-hmm. Um, let, let's also say this is, or let me say, uh, this is also what's hamstringing us in the church. We are not very Lutheran in our mode of discussion yeah. these days. So instead of, of having disputations and um, having things out, you know, with clearly defined discussions and, and getting to the truth of Christ and his word, uh, we have these, uh, I'm going to say, unmanly reconciliation processes and, 
and all of this stuff. Yeah. It's, it's just not very appropriate, is it? Live not by lies. It, it, so in other words, even our pro- processes are functioning under the lie. They're, they've already adopted that, that point of view, so to speak. Well, yes. I mean, what does, yeah. it, what does it mean to take something that has been identified as a matter of doctrine affecting the entire church, wokeism at, a, at our Lutheran universities, and then treating that as if, no, no, we have to do a, a reconciliation in which everybody gives way and admits that they've all been sinning. Um, that's a denial of the capital T truth before you right. even get going. Yeah. Okay. So, so the kind of first step is, if we're going to put it in, in those terms, is to recognize there is a truth and it is accessible and it's found in the Holy Scriptures. So pick it up and read. Um Pick it up and read. That's that's great. Uh, also, uh, you and I are using the, uh, you know, kind of the intellectual terms when we're talking about this. But I would also uh, point out that in praying the Psalms, for instance, mm-hmm. that this is going to be the Lord educating us emotionally. It's going to be the Lord um, lining up, harmonizing our wills with His will, mm-hmm. as well as informing our intellect. So it is. It is we, as the whole person that we are, being uh, cruciformed mm-hmm. by Christ for the task of living not by lies, but instead talking about Christ, the truth, in his own words. So, so is that the only step? Are, are, there, are there other things that we ought to be then practicing or putting into practice as kind of a step to to handle these things when they come at us in our schools and in our workplaces. Well, thanks. I'm I'm happy to follow up more particular questions you you may want to ask on that or push me on. I I really appreciate that. I think this is about the point though where I have to say um, as as some of my uh, good friends and my pastor friends tell me, um, you know, it, it seems that. Your job seems to be this uh, theory business, the analyzing business, and the diagnosing. Mm-hmm. And i I think i um, I think I acknowledge that. But the way I'd put it is, well, I am not your called pastor. Yeah. <laughs> so this is about the point where folks want to go to those pastors that that through the congregations, uh, God has called, divinely called to be their spiritual counselors. Mm-hmm. Um, so as I say, Jason, I'm real happy to follow up with um, you know, whatever sure. other questions, but I would put it this way. Uh, I do think that there are some practical things to be discussed. So I believe that um, along with, I hope this sounds okay, along with cultivating our regular attendance at divine worship and our uh, membership in our congregations and and not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Mm-hmm. Um, we certainly have to do that more than ever in this time when um, the life himself has been so long censored, ignored, and is now um, actively being fought against mm-hmm. in our society. the The other thing, though, is if your if your listeners are thinking about practical things, I would say that. Um, this is not through any planning on my own, but I, w- I would observe a couple things. In in my situation of being uh, 
threatened with firing and being suspended and actually being exiled from my university still mm. uh, 13 months into this business. Um, it has been a godsend to have a number of very steadfast people from different walks of life, different vocations, uh, befriending me, talking with me, praying for me, and and actively, uh, you know, checking out some of my thinking, that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think that um, our our folks in the pews um, who are experiencing or getting set to experience this stuff in the workplace really want to pull out all the stops to cultivate their friendships with fellow Christians. Um, in my first congregation, uh, again, this was no planning on my part. I think it was just a sheer godsend, though. I had a regular uh, group of people. We we got together sometimes for basketball, but you know, for uh, coffee and, and talking about things. We had a um, surgeon, a lawyer, um, a couple uh, teachers, some professional nurses, mm-hmm. and and they would we would talk about issues, you know, with our Bibles open. And, and all this expertise around the table. So um, I'm going to just say this for another practical thing. And I, I can understand um, this is a little contentious, though I don't think it's actually biblically contentious at all. Uh, the lawyers who have talked with me, quite, quite a number of Christian and, and Lutheran and even LCMS lawyers, have pointed out that when you're facing problems in the workplace, you want to be very careful to keep a record of things that are being said to you and done to you um, in case it becomes necessary to defend yourself in court yeah. or defend yourself by talking to a lawyer. So um, I think, you know, in our day and age, that it makes sense if you're being uh, hounded at work or if this uh, woke Marxism is, is, being, uh, is being used to hit you around the head, you want to be sure to copy the emails uh, copy the notices and requirements for meetings that mm-hmm. are are nothing more than uh, you know propaganda for die stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, keep track of all that, and I, I think even um, keeping a small journal um, makes a lot of sense. So okay. uh, it occurs to me that that's not just for lawyers, though, right? It would be for talking with your pastor, yeah, and talking with those fellow uh, members of Christ to seek their advice and their prayers as well. Mm -hmm. Luther talks about the conscience of a Christian man who is perhaps being called into military service. And he says something effective, and this is not an exact quote, but you have to have, have, your conscience must be prepared to engage in that kind of battle, that kind of violence. Otherwise, the devil will use it to to conquer you and your faith. To what extent can that be applied in the battles that we engage with regard to this in the workplace or at school? In what way does the pastor need to to keep the conscience of that individual and then in mind and and make his um, make his advice? With that in mind, well, thanks. That's that's just another wonderfully practical pastoral question. Um, I think I'd I'd offer this. So, uh, I don't know if you're thinking about uh, Luther's 
Marburg stuff or some of his other um, writings. I just think that's a, a a great case to use. I believe that there has been some refinement in our thinking about the role of Christians as soldiers, as people in the profession of arms, as we say, mm-hmm. uh, since the time of Luther. And I, I may be going out on a limb, but I, I do a fair amount of teaching of ethics and so just war theory and all of that. I've, I've actually spent a couple decades of volunteer service uh, mm-hmm. teaching uh, military ethics to people in uniform. So uh, here's the thing. There is such a thing as a just war or an unjust war. And our realization today is that whether a war is just or not, um, in our system of government and so forth, that depends on what the government leaders are doing. Mm-hmm. So let's just say that something like Vietnam or something like Afghanistan, you can ask legitimate questions about whether the war itself was something that a government should justly have engaged in or sent soldiers to. But the other side of this is where the conscience comes in. Mm-hmm. The other side of this is what about the conduct of the soldier in uniform, right? Mm-hmm. During a war, suppose yeah. the war is unjust. What what is his or her responsibility there? And it is to to act morally. Mm-hmm. It is to to act in the case of uh, American service people, in line with the uh, Uniform Code of Military Justice. Mm-hmm. It it is also something that you know, and a, a lot of other people have had this experience too. Uh, uh, some years ago, when our daughter finished basic for her. Um, Air Force service, um, our sons and daughters promise, they take a vow to defend the Constitution of the United States States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. So I think that's where the conversation about conscience comes up. So the, the thing is, we would have great concerns about what the government is doing right now. But mm-hmm. I believe I'm back to Solzhenitsyn and to uh, the Christian in his or her congregation uh, with Jesus speaking to them in Scripture, yeah. Um, if, if we're watching the conscience, the question is to be in Scripture to begin with, and then to be sure that you are doing everything that you should that God expects. There, um, I heard this uh, wonderful put together. I don't, I don't know why I haven't paid more attention to this before, but this wonderful put together by our mutual friend, Pastor Dave Ramirez. Um, in a recent presentation, he said, well, you know, when you're facing government tyranny, it is important to pay attention to the Ten Commandments. I was mm-hmm. getting set to kid him about that after the presentation, because of course, you know, you should say that. But he said, but to pay attention to the Ten Commandments with Luther's table of duties from the catechism. So wherever you find yourself, wherever God has placed you in your vocation, you know, a, a father, mother, a um, employer, employee, master, servant, and soldier, right? That that you have to act according to the Ten Commandments in that concrete situation where you are. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the way to safeguard conscience here. Okay. That uh, careful distinction between a just and unjust war on the one hand, which would be a person's responsibility if they were a government leader, um, versus the moral responsibilities of the soldier herself or himself. And that that is plainly uh, addressed by the commandments and the other words of our Lord. Okay. Um, any final thoughts in terms of things that 
we didn't cover that you think we ought to at this time? Well, I would offer the uh, the thought, Jason, that if you'd like to pursue any aspects of this, or maybe as you get um, emails or responses uh, from the uh, the wonderful Goddess Deanst listeners, mm-hmm. I'd certainly be happy to come back and uh, do my best to expand on, or you know, if people have uh, maybe misgivings about the way I put things, to talk about whether my comments are biblical and Lutheran or or not. Yeah. Um, I think that it is rather important for all of us to be in God's word, as you and I were, of course, agreeing. Mm-hmm. But I think, again, especially in the Psalms, and I, I highly recommend Psalm 42 and 43 for starters, because there's all that business about the ungodly nation and the unjust man. And fundamentally, uh, we place those into the Lord's hands. So I think that the the overall pattern here is to be praying for and then attending to his revealed word um, as we do, as we say in that petition of the Lord's Prayer, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think that entails um, not living by lies, but seizing the opportunities that the Lord presents for living out his revealed will and helping other people to do the same. Mm-hmm. And then I think added to that is uh, if we are talking or listening here in Godestines, I think that the um, responsibility also is this, to become familiar enough with what the, the woke Marxist social justice message is that we can talk thoughtfully to people when they say, well, what's the big deal here? Now, I, I don't think that's hard to do. Alas, it's getting easier to point out if part of this business is setting people against one another based on racial characteristics or alleged characteristics. Mm-hmm. If part of it is to um, make people sign on, even to sacrifice their own children and grandchildren to transgenderism uh, and so forth, it becomes obvious that there's something horribly wrong going on. But yeah. I, th- I think we all owe it to our coworkers and our fellow citizens and to the other people at church uh, to become a bit more familiar with what the wokeism actually is mm-hmm. so that we can talk about that. But the final answer surely is Jesus. And it's where Jesus is talking about himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Um, it's not only the case that we can't come to the Father except through Jesus if we're thinking about when we die and then we face the judgment, but it's also the case right now, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, no one comes to the Father. So in other words, nobody is in um, a good, right, and just situation apart from me, mm-hmm. as Jesus says. Yeah, I keep telling my people, uh, you know, the, the, the world is in disorder and disarray, and people are looking for order and thus peace. Uh, you have the answer. Um, why not just tell them what that is? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 and maybe some of them will listen. So thanks for your time. Again, uh, to listeners, if there are questions, as Dr. Schultz mentioned, just you can send them to me or send them to uh, post them on the, uh, the website and uh, hopefully we'll be able to take them up in turn. So thank you for your time. And uh, God bless you the rest of this Holy Week. 
thank you, brother. his blessings to you and yours as well.